Hello, and welcome to episode 30 of the Bible Q&A with Pastor Stephen. My name is Stephen Pace, and I'm the senior pastor at Decatur Bible Church in Decatur, Michigan. This podcast attempts to answer Bible questions in a clear but thorough manner. If you would like to have a Bible-related question considered for a future episode, you can email me your question to pastorstephendbc at gmail.com. Again, that's pastorstephendbc at gmail.com. In this episode, we're going to be looking at the first part of a study on the ascension of Jesus Christ. So grab your Bibles and let's get started. Now for our first question for this episode, when and where did the ascension occur? Again, we're going to look at first when and where did the ascension of Jesus occur? Now, we know that after Jesus' resurrection that he made a variety of appearances over a course of 40 days. So again, we have, if you want to follow it chronologically, you have Jesus' resurrection. And then over a period of 40 days, he gives proof or evidence that in fact he did rise again from the grave. Now we can find this when, this period of time, in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 3, after Luke's introduction, he says, To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. So that's where the 40 days comes from. So what you have is Jesus' resurrection and then a period of time of 40 days where he gives a variety of appearances to a variety of people. Now, if you are in the book of Acts with me, chapter 1, where I just read verse 3, if you were to look at verses 9 through 12, we can find not only the when, but the where of the ascension. So, in simple terms, once Jesus' 40 days have been completed, you'll notice in verse 9, of Acts chapter 1, Luke says, And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. But notice verse 12, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. So here in these verses, verse 3 of Acts chapter 1, as well, well as verses 9 through 12, we can answer these preliminary questions. The when and the where did the ascension occur? So we know that the ascension occurred at the end of the 40-day period of witness. So again, Jesus is resurrected. He gives appearances for 40 days. And at the end of those 40 days, he and his disciples 
we see the where question are on the Mount of Olives or called the Olivet. Now that phrase should probably ring a bell. For example, in Matthew chapters 24 and 25, we have the Olivet Discourse. So again, the Mount of Olives would be the where question. And so the first question was again, when and where did the ascension occur? And so we can see here initially that the answer then is 40 days after the resurrection, Jesus ascended to the Father at the Mount of Olives just outside of Jerusalem. Now, for our second question for this episode, how did Jesus return to the Father? Again, in relation to the ascension, how did Jesus return to the Father? Now, if you were looking in Acts chapter 1 and verse 9, we see that after he had spoken to his disciples, he giving, of course, some instructions on waiting on the Holy Spirit. Once the Holy Spirit comes, they would begin to bear witness, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the way to the ends of the earth. What we see in Acts chapter 1 and verse 9, though, is that this was not an instant or blink of an eye, to put it another way, return to the Father, but rather it was more of a gradual ascent into the clouds. Notice again it says, and after he had said these things, the aforementioned verses 6 through 8, Jesus was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. So it was more of a gradual ascent versus what we might think of as in an instant, the moment in a blink of an eye, uh, as the rapture will happen. So it wasn't quite as instantaneous as that, but a little bit more gradual. I'm going to read this to you from Charles Ryrie's Basic Theology, and he puts it this way, Christ actually traveled up as if supported by the cloud, See verse 9. The ascent was not a sudden disappearance, but a gradual, and though not long, movement upward. So the process was not in the blink of an eye, like we might think of in the rapture, in a moment in a blink of an eye, the, the twinkling of an eye, but rather Jesus' return to the Father was more gradual, uh, more of a gradual ascent into the upper atmosphere there. So we see that that is the way in which he left to where he would return to where he is right now, seated at the Father's right hand. Now for our third and final question for this episode, what was the promise given to believers on the day of the ascension? Again, what was the promise given to believers on the day of the ascension. Now, for over 2,000 years, of course, approximating when the ascension occurred, there is a promise of hope that was given to every believer on the day of the Lord's ascension. Now, again, if you are in Acts chapter 1, we do have, of course, a detailed account of the ascension, and primarily what you have is Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, with verse 12 telling you the location of the ascension. But I want you to notice with me verse 11, Acts chapter 1 and verse 11. This is where the promise is given 
and this is a promise that was given that day, and we still today await the fulfillment of that promise. Let's read it again. Acts chapter 1, verse 11. They also said, and this is the they here, is the two men standing in white who are clothed in white, said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. I'm going to read this to you from two different study Bibles. The first one is the Ryrie Study Bible. The second coming of Christ, like the ascension, will be personal, visible, and to the Mount of Olives. So that was from the Ryrie Study Bible. Now, the second one is from the MacArthur Study Bible. And again, you'll notice they're, they're basically the same, uh, but MacArthur's, you'll notice here as well, is helpful. It says, Christ one day will return to the earth, to the Mount of Olives, in the same way, that is the clouds, he ascended to set up his kingdom. So what you see there is essentially the same thing. They're both referring to the second coming of Jesus. It will have his second coming, that is, some similarities to the ascension, just as described there. And some of those will be, it will be personal. So this Jesus, this same Jesus, the same one that was literally there, literally resurrected, that he will return. It'll be visible, just as those disciples and those who were there would have seen. But also, curiously enough, you'll notice in both the Ryrie and the MacArthur Study Bible, they focus on the return being in the Mount of Olives, and that being a specific location. Now, this is particularly important, and it has to do with a prophecy that's in the Old Testament. And so for that, we're going to turn to the minor prophet Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 4. So let's turn there for a moment. Now the prophet Zechariah is interesting for a lot of reasons, but for simplicity, once you get to chapters 12 through 14, those chapters are looking into, from Zechariah's standpoint, a very far distant future. Uh, of course, for you and I, we don't know how much further that will be, but the period of time that it's looking forward to is what we would think of as the tribulation period, that period described in the book of Revelation, for example. But in chapters 12 through 14, that's what we have is Zechariah's description there of the tribulation period the nations gathered up, all the nations gathered up against Israel. Israel, of course, in due time, once they are uh, essentially broken and they have no resources left, they will turn to the Lord finally. But then we see in chapter 14, you'll notice where the prophet speaks of God helping to defeat Jerusalem's many different foes and adversaries in that day. So notice verse 1 of chapter 14. Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided among you, for I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city will be captured, the houses plundered, 
the women ravished, and half of the city exiled, but the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against the nations as when he fights on a day of battle. So you notice in verse 3, speaking of the what I presume is the latter period of the tribulation, the Lord going to, once Israel repents and turns back to him, the Lord will come and fight and uh, overthrow the nations that have come up against Israel. But notice verse 4, verse 4 of chapter 14. In that day, the day of the Lord, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in the front of Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives will be split in its middle from east to west by a very large valley, so that half of the mountain will move towards the north and the other half towards the south. And you can continue reading that. But what you see there is that it's describing in detail the, the second coming of Jesus. And so it's curious, uh, as Ryrie and the MacArthur Study Bible point out, that Jesus will return at the second coming in a similar way to the ascension, personal, visible, but you'll notice in both of them they describe the location. Jesus' feet will actually literally stand and land on the Mount of Olives and in such great power that it will split from east to west and so forth as we just described. So again, this is quite interesting. You can see the connection again from Zechariah written long before even the birth of Jesus, let alone the account of the ascension. But before we continue and move any further, I want us to look one more place as well, and it's in the book of Revelation. Again, that's Revelation chapter 1, and we're going to look at verse 7. And you can see some of the similarities again with some of the descriptions in Zechariah and Acts here. But in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7, it says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So shall it be. Amen. And so you can see some similarities there as well. So from Zechariah to Acts, even into the book of Revelation, you see the reference there to the clouds. And in that case, of course, different from what we think of with the doctrine of the rapture. This is a visible return where people will see Jesus, just as, of course, we've already mentioned. And then lastly, we can see some similarities as well in Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. If you were to read these, you'll see this is the description of the second coming of Jesus, where he literally returns here, described on a white horse, faithful and true. And of course, when he returns at the second coming, he's coming to both judge and wage war. And you see the detailed description of Jesus there as well. Uh, for instance, in verse 16, it says that on Jesus's robe and thigh, it says, King of kings and Lord of lords. And so what we see here is the answer to the question was what was the promise given on the day of the ascension of Jesus? 
And what we could say is that we today still have hope based on the promise that was given on the day of the Lord's ascension. And what is that hope? Well, it's the hope that Jesus will return again one day. That at his second coming, he will literally, personally, visibly return to the Mount of Olives. And then, of course, he will usher in the Millennial Kingdom, where he will reign in righteousness for a thousand years. And, of course, it's no wonder the early church would proclaim such things as Maranatha. And so that is the promise that is given to believers today. Well... That concludes today's episode. Be sure to tune in for our next episode, episode 31, and we'll explore more about the ascension of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Until then, God bless.